0: Hello and welcome to the Burley Fisher podcast. My name's Sam Fisher, filling in for our regular host Dan Fuller who is on a well-earned break. This week we're taking a break from our schedule of events from the Burley Fisher Festival, recorded earlier this year, to bring you a special event that was recorded at the bookshop. The event was to celebrate the release of a new anthology of poems called Poetry for the Many, published by OR Books and edited by Jeremy Corbyn and Len McCluskey. We were lucky enough to host Jeremy Corbyn and the Dame Margaret Busby for a conversation and selected readings in order to celebrate the release of this book. Also in presence was the writer Pauline Melville who um, came along to help us to celebrate the life and pay tribute to the late and great Benjamin Zephaniah. We really hope that you enjoy these readings and that you have an excellent end to your year and we'll see you early next year um, to continue the programme of events from the Birdie Fisher Festival. Lots of love from us. So welcome. Um, I'll just give a quick introduction. Welcome to Birdie Fisher Books. Um, we're here tonight for the launch of Poetry for the Many. Um, so please give a big round of applause for my Rusby and Jeremy Corian.
1: Well, good evening, everybody, um, and welcome to this very special event at Burley Fisher Books here, and we're here to celebrate the launch of Poetry for the Many, an anthology compiled by Jenny Corbyn, and then Leslie, with little help from some friends. And I think we've agreed it would be fitting to start with a little tribute to Benjamin Zephaniah, you. who you all probably know um, has just died. And Pauline Melville here, who's a, um, herself a writer, novelist, short story writer, and sometimes poet. Um,
2: <laughs> Bad poet.
3: <laughs> no um, such thing.
1: Pauline was a good friend of Benjamin's, and uh, so she's joined us, um,
2: Yes, You. you I'll I'll carry on it. Yeah, carry on, (laughs) yes. I've known Benjamin and his family for, well, since Benjamin started, really, uh, as a poet. And um, his sister rang me this morning and said he died at half-past two. So he hasn't even been dead um, 24 hours. But I think I've been bombarded with messages and people asking... The, the, sort of saying how great they thought he was, I mean, mm-hmm. from all over the world, from South Africa, from Canada, from Jamaica, um, uh, uh, and obviously lots from England, from Birmingham, and so forth. So, just to keep his voice going, as I'm sure it will be going worldwide, um, But it's a, it's a good event to start this, and he was, oh, so, <laughs> he, uh, he was a mm-hmm. Corbynista. He was a great guy. And um, I have to say that when I told his sister that I was going to be here and I was going to try and read one of his poems, one or two of his poems, she said, oh, he spoke such a lot about Jeremy Corbyn. That's fantastic. Let me know how it goes. So there was a late tribute from Benjamin to Jeremy. Um, But what I did was... um, <laughs> um, was that I found some very, very early, some of his earliest work, and this is, I think, probably the first book that he wrote called Penrhythm, and, and I looked in the beginning, and he'd written a, a, a dedication to me, and he said, um, in very Rasta terms, to the I, Pauline, from the I, Professor Benjamin Zephaniah in Dub. <laughs> And the strange thing was that I know that when he wrote that he never would have dreamt in a million years that he would actually become a professor at Brunel University. So anyway, I'm just going to read you the back. What's wonderful about his poetry is it burst out of the schoolroom. Maybe a bit like um, Robbie Burns or it was really a poem that he wanted to get out, poetry that he wanted to get out of academia. Um, and this is one a very very early one You should really see it because it's got lots of capital letters and small-case letters and things just read it and it's According to I excuse the accent. I'm actually from Guyana, mm-hmm. and we don't have the same Jamaican accent um, mm-hmm. So I can't really do Benjamin's Jamaican Brummy accent According to my mood I have poetic license. I write the way I want. I drop my full stops where I like. My capital letters go where I like. I order from my pen. I verse the way I like. I do my spelling right according to my mood. I have poetic license. I put my commerce where I like. My commas too where I like. My brackets where I like where I write. I repeat when I like. I can't go wrong. I look and I see it's right. I repeat when I like. I have poetic license. Don't question me. (laughs) Um, That's one, and then I just found another. God, I found a postcard from him that um, was when Yugoslavia was still Yugoslavia, whenever that was. Um, It was in, in a book. I just thought I'd read this uh, because it's got his humour, and his satire, and his shrewdness. Uh, And it's a very early poem, and it's called The Day That I Met Lady Di. The day that I met Lady Di, now let me think, because I was high. (laughs) Oh yes, now I remember well, could never forget that Brixton smell. The day that I met Lady Di, some bird must have shit in my eye. No bright colours she wore, just red. And she was burning with a dread. In Brixton Town, there was she. To my surprise, she turned to me and said, I'm really Millicent and so pleased to meet you, Eddie Grant. (laughs) I told her, Eddie Grant's not me. She said, sorry, Lenny Henry. (laughs) It's because you impersonate so well, and there's lots of you. How can I tell? The day that I met Lady Di, she said, I really like reg-eye. She start wine up and move her rump. Then she did what she called the water pump. The day that I met Lady Di, not a bird was in the sky. All of them were on her hat looking for dead worms and rats. Now Lady Di, she did like a dub, and she come to down to our youth club. And I must say, I was fooled, because really, she's so good at pool. Mm-hmm. She said, I don't like gambling, but she don't lose, she always wins. In the money game, she broke the rest, more profit for the royal chess. And there she stood with a young black brother. (coughs) And this white man shouts, you're a black man lover. She said, you see us royalty, we stand for racial equality. We want to see you bright and healthy, not too powerful, not too wealthy. Would you people have, if you people have a problem, tell my husband and he will solve them. The day that I met Lady Di, I asked myself the question, why? If she's human like you and me, why don't she go to the lavatory? The day that I met Lady Di. I was happy. No, I tell a lie. I had a pain in my belly. I could not fart near royalty.
1: Thank you, going <coughs> to read you're going to read one
3: for us. Um, I want to just read a, s- a poem from Ben now, because he was fantastic man fantastic poet and I loved his um, Jamaican way of doing things and the way he wrote and the free-flowing of it and the ideas and always always that wonderful sense of humanity and since we're now in a period of a sort of national hate of anyone who described themselves a refugee or a migrant I think it's time that we heard from Ben about refugees This morning I punished myself and listened to... I was waiting to do a Zoom meeting on Gaza, but while I was waiting I punished myself by listening to Nick Robinson and Suella Braverman having a discussion about um, how you send people to Rwanda. And they went on and on about it, this law, that law, and so on and so on. At no stage, no stage, did any of them raise the question of why people risk everything to cross the channel. No stage did they raise any humanity at all. It was sort of like this was removed. This was Mm. a shuttlecock they're going to argue about. They didn't really care what the subject was. It was disgusting. Mm. really was disgusting. I was ashamed of it. And so we were searching today for something appropriate about Ben. And he wrote this poem about refugees. We refugees, I come from a musical place where they shoot me for my song. And my brother has been tortured by my brother in my land. I come from a beautiful place where they hate my shade of skin. They don't like the way I pray, and they ban free poetry. I come from a beautiful place where girls cannot go to school. There you are told what to believe, and even young boys must grow beards. I come from a great old forest. I think it is now a field, and the people I once knew are not there now. We can all be refugees. Nobody is safe. All it takes is a mad leader or no rain to bring forth food. We can all be refugees. We can all be told to go. We can be hated by someone for being someone. I come from a beautiful place where the valley floods each year, and each year the hurricane tells us that we must keep moving on. I come from an ancient place. All my family were born there, and I would like to go there but I really want to live. I come from a sunny, sandy place where tourists go to darken skin and dealers like to sell guns there. I just can't tell you what's the price. I'm told I have no country now. I'm told I am a lie. I'm told that modern history books may forget my name. We can all be refugees. Sometimes it only takes a day. Sometimes it only takes a handshake or a paper that is signed. We all came from refugees. Nobody simply just appeared. Nobody's here without a struggle. And why should we live in fear of the weather or the troubles? We all came here from somewhere.
1: There's some idea of the power of In fact, maybe I'll read a, a word or two from the uh, foreword by Melissa Benn. Poetry for the many. Okay, in this volume you will find the work of some of the greatest poets of the last few centuries, selected by a group of individuals who have themselves made a significant contribution to our contemporary political and cultural life. Poetry is not required to submit itself to a collective mandate, even when it directly addresses a political issue. The form enables an authenticity and originality the political life, with its increasingly technocratic calculations, so often lacks. Um, This collection gives us the chance to appreciate the choices and commentaries of contributors who have, in markedly different ways, campaigned for social justice and championed the voices of those who have been marginalized, misrepresented, or shot, shut down. Shut down, actually, yes. Very often, they in turn have been sidelined, mocked, or castigated for their efforts. Within these pages, however, they speak to us, unmediated, of the experiences and words that have motivated, moved, amused, or enlivened them. In doing so, they take a step towards closing the gap between politics and poetry, and help make the world a better place in which to live." Mm. That's a good foreword. So I assume, Jeremy, that's chimes with the reason you did this anthology.
3: Well, this anthology started um, because Len McCluskey and I obviously know each other very well. We've met many times. and. One time we were in my office discussing the arcane details of economic policy. Sebastian will remember all those days. And we um, had finished our discussion and Len sort of leapt back like this, looked around. And he said, um, what are these poetry books doing on your shelf? And I said, what do you mean? Why shouldn't I have poetry books on my shelf? He said, no, I haven't got that one. Can I borrow it? <laughs> <laughs> and said, of course. Um, Len also um, loves poetry, and um, particularly Emily Dickinson, and he often quotes it. And I usually quote poetry in speeches that I do. And I was very keen to promote the idea of inspiration, of art, of access to art and culture. Hence, um, our policy of having a uh, ring fenced. Um, Pupil arts premium so that every school would have a ring fenced sum of money for music, theatre, art, and so on to give people a chance. And last night I was at the Arcola just up the road, and there was a play put on there by a lovely group of young people, all of whom have had um, interactions with the criminal justice system, shall we say. And they used put on an amazing, quite heavy play in various parts but it was amazing what they did and what they've achieved and i was just thinking um schools these days often don't have the money for theatre don't have the money for music don't have the money for the creative arts that they ought to have so we end up with all of our not all but many of our famous actors and musicians all people that have come from the private education system kids around here are just as capable of writing music just as capable of painting just as capable of acting as anybody else and so i'm determined that we should open that up and then len and i uh decided that we would give this thing a go after a chat with uh, melissa Ben and have a poetry evening at the casa in liverpool which is a club that was set up with um quite a lot of help from ken loach after the docker strike um, and uh, we had a poetry evening there where we each turned up with a stack of books and read bits of poetry and talked about it, why we liked them and what we thought about them. They're usually poems about struggle. And then some lads in the middle said, Hey, jazz, here, Jez. Hey, Jez. <laughs> What's the matter? Do you want the bathroom or something? What, what, what? He said, No, I've got a poem here. Can I read
1: it?
3: Um, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So he pulled his mobile phone out and read the poem. It was good. And then his mates all did the same. So it became a speak-out of young people. And I was really pleased because they felt empowered to read their poetry and not be embarrassed or ashamed about it because there was an event on at the Casa just for poetry. We're going back to the Casa on Sunday. We've got one event we booked um, in for 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. So it sold out in an hour. Mm-hmm. So we've had to put a second one on before it. So we're doing a double header on um, Sunday afternoon. And then just to make it easy for us, somebody else phoned up and said, you'll have to come in an hour earlier than that because there's a Gaza demonstration. You've got to speak out as well. So we're <laughs> going to have a very full afternoon in Liverpool. It's, um, it is, this book is designed to make poetry accessible and it's designed to also try and talk about what has influenced us in our selections of poet, poems. Mm-hmm. There's a lot I could talk about. Can I just mention one before you mm-hmm. get the next point you're going to raise with me? I'm sure, no, you're going to have to no, wait for me. me. <laughs> um, I did s- have poetry at school. I had a teacher in primary who was actually very keen on poetry and she used to read poems to us every week which was nice. Every Monday morning she'd read a poem to us and then explain what it was. It was beautiful. Uh, maybe I was the only one listening, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, th- she was good at that. I wish that happened in all schools. And then I had got formed the impression that Robert Browning was a, a quite formalised establishment poet who um, wrote beautiful poetry. I mean, Home Thoughts from Abroad is a beautiful poem, but you know, it is of its time and of its place. And I always assumed, because I hadn't read much of her work, Elizabeth Barrett Browning was of the same sort of genre. She's not, not a bit of it. And so when we were preparing this book, um, it should have all been done in sort of a quite short period, but I got so involved in reading dozens and dozens of poetry books all summer um, and I had a whole desk full of poetry books and the cat would jump on them and all the books would fall on the floor, all sorts of, you get the picture. And um, I then read about her life very wealthy family, she was born in the most privileged circumstances possible in Yorkshire Um, governesses, maids gardeners and everything and then when she was about 10 the family thought it was time for her to see the world, so she was sent to Jamaica to the family estate sugar plantation with slaves and she said, who are these people and why are they doing this, and they said you don't need to worry your head about that, it's not for you she did worry ahead about it and she got more and more angry challenged her father challenged her mother on this and then went on challenging them so eventually uh she then joined joined an anti-slavery organization and they didn't like that so they chucked her out they said your choice either you stay in the family or or you go she said okay i'm going she had nothing more to do with them ever in life they, she had no money whatsoever and um <coughs> She wrote poetry and later married Robert Browning. And um, then she died eventually in desperate poverty in Italy. And the poem that I I want to refer to is um, the runaway slave at Pilgrim's Point. And the whole object of the poem is, it's um, page 92 um, onwards, is of um, what happened uh, when slaves were captured in Guinea, as it was then called, herded onto slave ships and died in their tens of thousands (coughs) on the ship, if they didn't die in the cotton fields or the sugar plantations later on. And um, I think this poem is a very powerful one, I'll just read a couple of verses of it. It starts with, (coughs) I stand on the mark beside the shore, of the first white pilgrim's bended knee, where exile turned to ancestor, and God was thanked for liberty. I've run through the night, my skin is as dark. I bend my knee down on this mark. I look on the sky and the sea. O pilgrim souls, I speak to you. I see you come out proud and slow, from the land of the spirits, pale as dew. And round me and round me ye go. O pilgrims, I've grasped and run. All night long from the whips of one, who in your names works sin and woe. And thus I thought that I would come and kneel here where ye knelt before and feel your souls around my hum, in undertone to the ocean's roar and lift my black face my black hand hearing in your name to curse this land ye blessed in freedoms evermore and it is incredibly strong and powerful it's quite a long poem and uh, there was some discussion with the publishers about Uh, having the length of the poem in the book and uh, I said, well, it either all goes in or nothing goes in. And so we have the whole of the poem in the book. It does take up quite a lot of pages, eight eight pages, in fact. And the last uh, short verse is, I fall, I swoon, I look at the sky, the clouds are breaking on my brain. I'm floated along as if I should die of liberty's exquisite pain. In the name of the white child waiting for me in the death dark where we may kiss, kiss and agree. White men, I leave you all curse free in my broken heart's disdain. That's the last lines of it. Very, very powerful poem. And so the book is designed to uh, excite people, I hope, inspire, because there's many inspirational poems in there. And I want to produce another poem, book, um, next year. Uh, poetry from the many Mm -hmm. because I get sent a lot of poetry um, a great deal of poetry um, which I think deserves to be published if we can get that done.
1: Who sends you the poems? People who know you're interested in poetry? Well,
3: just people, you know I mean, I don't know them most of them I didn't know you were interested in poetry I'm thrilled the bits. Dear Jeremy would you like to read my poem? I've enclosed it for you
0: (laughs) Which
1: is nice. I mean, one one of the great things, I mean, as you've illustrated with that poem, is there's a lot of history Mm. around the selections you've made, and not only general history but personal history. Because I, you know, for example, you refer to the fact that you spent early teaching years in Jamaica. So all of that just makes amplifies for me the sort of the power of this anthology. And I was wondering how difficult was it to choose the poems? Oh, very. very, Yeah, I expect so, So
3: when we agreed on the size of the book and that we would invite people to um, choose poems themselves, you know, yourself, and uh, Maxine Peake and Michael Mm -hmm. Rosen and so on, and um, so we agreed that we'd choose 15 poems each, Uh, and Len is kind of a bit of a negotiator, really, so he rings up the next day and says, is not enough, I want 80. I said, Len, you're not negotiating with um, <laughs> an employer here. <laughs> We're producing a book, you know. He couldn't, he couldn't get over that. So Anyway, the number kept growing. And I said, OK, we'll stop at 20 each and you think, okay, 20 poems, and I want to give a sort of global view, I want to talk Mm. about romantic poetry, I want to talk about environmental struggles, I want to talk about peace, historical poems, and so on. It ends up being the hardest thing in the world to Mm. do, because if you start to think of all the poems you might want to do, and then you more and more poems appear, more and more books appear, and you've got a whole desk full of books, and what are we going to do? And then you start researching before writing the short piece and the hardest thing to write is a short piece about a poet because it's actually quite difficult you know you write a long thing that's fine a short thing is much too much harder to do and um, we then spent quite a lot of time choosing them and had various several meetings with Carrie Murphy who um, supervised the production and collection of it and um, I know there are many, many, many great poets we've left out. I know that, and I feel very embarrassed about that. I'm very sorry, and I apologise to all of them. It's like Desert (laughs)
1: Island Discs. You can't hear everything.
3: Yeah, that's true. But why do we always hear the the same records in Desert Island Discs? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it is there. It was hard, yes, Mm. but it was um, a wonderful opportunity to spend a bit of time uh, researching these poets, and I hope all of you really enjoy the book. And um, we've got a lot of events on around the country. We we were in Edinburgh last week for the Edinburgh Poetry Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely packed out, standing room only events. And we um, read various poems there and took questions and so on and discussion. We've got the ones coming up in Liverpool got this and I was in York last week doing one in a bookshop that was very small your bookshop seems absolutely huge compared to the bookshop (laughs) I was in 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 York so well done you and it was um I felt a bit guilty there was a whole lot of people queuing outside in the snow waiting to get their books signed so I felt guilty for reading a poem but knowing these people are outside (laughs) moral pressure Mm -hmm. (laughs) but what are you what's your favorite poem in the book
1: well, I'm still dipping into the book. I mean, I, I'm not starting at the beginning and reading. Should I st- do no, that? No, no, you shouldn't. No, you exactly. should just read well, what I mean, comes to your mind, doesn't it? did that's you do that with what? my anthology? You started at the beginning and
3: read right through. No, you didn't. No, <laughs> yours, no. I've got it there and I read bits and pieces. Exactly. Of so, you know, I mean, that, I dip in and out and around. It's a great I'm, book.
1: Dipping in and out stage. Buy her book.
3: <laughs> 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 buy her book. Buy his book. <laughs> no, but
1: it's, it's, there are so many. And, and I mean, it's interesting to sort of ask which ones you. Regret not including?
3: Um, oh, that's hard. I wanted to include... There is one Shakespeare thing in there. Yeah. I wanted to include m- more of that. Um, there's a lot I wanted mm. to include. Hard but you do another
1: volume so you can...
3: Oh, yeah. If anybody will publish it, we'll do more. Yeah, absolutely. What's yeah. wrong
1: with that? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I wanted to include some of Bertolt Brecht.
1: because he's such
3: an amazing poet and he wrote (coughs) in such complicated circumstances Mm. and times Um, and so we ended up not being able to get one of those in but there are a lot in there which I hope you'll really enjoy we've also Mm. got some from poets who are not particularly well known Hannah Lavery, a Scottish woman, wrote this um, I think it's funny and clever and very witty it's a poem about Scotland, Scotland I Love You Um, Scotland fu Scotland F your flag, Scotland I love you and so on (laughs) and she sort of loves Scotland hates excessive nationalism but loves national identity, it's all quite complicated and so um, I went back to Edinburgh for the um, Festival and Book Fair this year and so I met up with uh, with with Hannah and we had um, we tried to have lunch together but there wasn't much food to eat so we just had a sandwich, but we we chatted for about two hours about her ideas and her poetry. Absolutely wonderful mm-hmm. woman, and um, her her idea is to give people inspiration to think about their circumstances, think about their lives and then try and develop other ideas from it so it's uh, scotland you're no know mind yeah what, what number of pages page one one two page one one two have mm. a look at that because you've all got books <laughs> hannah lavery scotland, but there, there you know are so
1: mind. many great in fact there are so, some people i've published like adrian mitchell and andrew sorkin well we should just mm.
3: before we take questions we should just mention um adrian mitchell's poem uh his hands were gentle his hands were strong it's about Victor Hara, who was um, murdered in the stadium in um, 1973 in Santiago, and before they murdered him they broke his hand so he couldn't play the guitar. And um, the book is about um, Victor. His widow, Joan Hara, after the coup managed to escape and came to live in North London. She lived in uh, my constituency for many years and then she went back to Chile, and I've never forgotten, uh, she'd been back in Chile a couple of years before Pinochet finally stopped being president. I'm not saying he lost all his power, but he stopped being president. And I went to Chile that year for what was called the Cambio de Mano. And um, then when all that had finished, um, Joan said to me, would you like to come with me to Poblacion La Victoria, where um, Victor had often played his guitar and held concerts there, and it was, all getting very late so we finally arrived there, it's basically part of Santiago, we arrived there about midnight I said, "Joe, are you sure this is a good idea we can't go and start a rally at midnight she said, why not, Pinochet's gone (laughs) there were thousands of people there thousands to hear her and you were watching the funeral I was, yes I was and I was a
2: friend of hers yes, you knew um, her very well yeah, stayed with her actually about seven years ago, mm. and um, I mean she was tremendous. She never, never hesitated from the, the moment that he was murdered. She she continued to sort of uh, fight for justice for him and for the, for everybody in Chile really. And she was English. She was a ballet dancer, and I, when I went when I stayed with them um, with her. Uh, there was a cabin in the garden where Victor had written, and it was kept, sort of, more or less, as he'd left it, and, um, but she had been a dancer, and she could still, she'd had two hip replacements, and she could still do high kicks in the kitchen. She was about eighty-eight then, I think, was <laughs> <laughs> ninety-six the, With when the, with she the died. artificial hips? The, yeah. Yeah. No. Amazing <laughs> where you're getting quick-fitted. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, we've had two great losses mm-hmm. with Joan dying and uh, with Benjamin dying.
3: And uh, the, uh, Adrian's poem is. Page 106,
2: is that the one you
3: 106,
2: 106, yeah. 106, yeah. You want to read something
1: of it, huh? You want to read something? I'll just read a
3: little bit of it, then we'll start with questions. Yeah. Um, so, Adrian Mitchell, a wonderful peace man. Wonderful campaigner, and um, <coughs> he and his wife Celia ran a bookshop called Ripping Yarns on Archway Road for a long time, um, and um, his he wrote he'd written a brilliant poem about Vietnam, Tell Me Lies About Vietnam, and then he turned that into Tell Me Lies About Iraq later on, a similar scene to it, and then his poem about um, Victor Hara is amazing. It says. Victor Hara of Chile lived like a shooting star. He fought for the people of Chile with his songs and his guitar. His hands were gentle, his hands were strong. Victor Hara was a peasant. He worked from a few years old. He sat upon his father's plough and watched the earth unfold. His hands were gentle, his hands were strong. Now when the neighbours had a wedding, or one of their children died, his mother sang all night for them, with Victor by her side. His hands were gentle, his hands were strong. He grew up to be a fighter against the people's wrongs. He listened to their grief and joy and turned them into songs. His hands were gentle, his hands were song, strong. He sang about the copper miners and those who worked the land. He sang about the factory workers and they knew he was their man. His hands were gentle, his hands were strong. He campaigned for a Day, working night and day. He sang, take hold of your brother's hand. You know the future begins today. His hands were gentle. His hands were strong. Then the generals seized Chile. They arrested Victor then. They caged him in a stadium with five thousand frightened men. His hands were gentle. His hands were strong. Victor stood in the stadium. His voice was brave and strong. And he sang for his fellow prisoners till the guards cut short his song. His hands were gentle. His hands were strong. They broke the bones in both hands, they beat him on the head, they tore him with electric shocks and then they shot him dead. His hands were gentle, his hands were
2: strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, uh, can I just say actually that when I was there, Joan took me to the stadium where he was murdered and which is now named after him, Huge, the, the football stadium, it's yeah. the Victor Harris Stadium now. So.
1: That was good. Mm, no, so the, the, the anthology is full of powerful poems with historical context, that's really important for us all to remember.
3: Funny enough from but anybody else? <laughs> questions? <laughs> yeah, any questions? Questions or ideas or anything you want to say? Or favourite poems,
1: you, can, you looked at the anthology yet. There you go, something. Yes.
3: Um, I wonder if you talk a little bit about how you quoted the Shelley poem in, in your speeches and where that idea came from. Well, um, I really do like Shelley. And um, Shelley was a fascinating, irascible fellow who um, was involved in many things not far from here. Um, he, he married uh, Mary Shelley, his, his wife who was the daughter of Mary Wollstonecroft, who lived on Newington Green for a while and opened the girls' school there, near where you are. And um, my mother was a great admirer of Shelley. Uh, She preferred Queen Mab, but I actually prefer the poem that I quote quite a lot, which is um, uh, The Mask of Anarchy, which is what he wrote in Italy uh, when he'd heard about the Peterloo Massacre. And... um, I wanted to include um, the whole of the Basque of Anarchy in this book, it it would take another book because the one thing about Shelley was he wasn't short sure of words and he would write very very long poems, Ode to the West Wind is a beautiful poem as well. Um, and my mother really liked Shelley and so she would read bits too as I said and so I wanted to, uh, in include Shelley in something, but those very very powerful words ye are many, they are few, is a very very powerful one and that's where the idea came from for our election slogan, slogan, Mm -hmm. for the many not the few and um, I was very proud to quote the Shelley poem in Glastonbury uh, that day because I think his um, His poetry was amazingly imaginative. And I'm very sad that he died so young. And it was, in a a way, it was his own fault. Because he he suddenly decided, he was a man of impetuous impulse. There's a very funny book called *A Summer with L.B. of 1815, of Shelley Byron and Mary Shelley. Shelley is eloping with Mary. She's about 16. And William Godwin, her father, didn't approve of this, and tried to chase after them, but couldn't catch them. They got on a boat in Calais for to Calais and went away. And then, the three of them travelled all through Europe. Byron was the one with lots of money, and they ended up in near Geneva, and rented this house where allegedly um, Byron was going to write poetry because he was spending money too fast and needed to sell some poetry. Um, Shelley wanted to write poetry and Mary wanted to do whatever. Anyway, Byron and Shelley spent an awful lot of time um, exciting themselves with naughty substances um, (laughs) and didn't make an awful lot of sense most of the time. And Mary got totally fed up with this pair of wastrels who were just sort of (laughs) wasting their time away. So she disappeared and wrote Frankenstein at the same time. So they're in this house Mm. And they must have been incredibly raucous, there must have been other people involved, because even though they're across the lake from Geneva, the people of Geneva complained about the noise. (laughs) 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 And so um, I think as a group of people, they were incredibly imaginative and quite brilliant. And uh, the other one is Lord Byron and his speech in the House of Lords in support of the people that smashed the machines in Nottingham when there were machines being brought in to weaving machines and so on, which were making a lot of very poor people unemployed. And he spoke in the House of Lords in support of them. And I managed to get the House of Lords records out to get that particular speech oh, there. Amazing, it's, it's amazing, amazing um, people. So I just think Shelley is just mm-hmm. such a great figure. The best book on Shelley is actually Paul Foote's book, Red Shelley. Mm-hmm. Red Shelley is re- really, really good.
1: Mm-hmm. Jeremy. Just a little sideline. You mentioned Calais. Is this the point we say there's a poem in here by you?
3: Well, you've just said it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask you more about it. So. Yeah.
3: uh, Yeah. Um, Since we're into attacking um, migrants, I um, have been to Calais several times, and. I feel unbelievably disgusted mm. at the situation in fact i 'm going, I'm, I'm going to France tomorrow for uh, some meetings we're putting together reports on trying to do something to support people in Calais. Um, nobody willingly gets in a seaside dinghy and goes across the English Channel. Nobody willingly walks from Afghanistan to France. Nobody willingly walks from Iraq to wherever or so on and so on. They do it out of total desperation. And we should think about the wars we've been involved in. So I've been to Calais several times, and um, I just feel very angry every time I go there. I went when the jungle was there, which was, the camp was called the jungle, was awful and quite brutal. It wasn't all nice there by any manner of means. It wasn't, it was quite horrible. There were gangs running the <coughs> camp. It was pretty horrible. There were racist gangs attacking the people in the camp, and there were police raids next time i went to cali the camps had been closed but the refugees were still there and so um i wrote this poem on the way back from it and um essentially what the media have done is have us all believe that all the ills of this country are caused by a few thousand people over several years coming by leaky dinghies across the channel many whom have died on the way and they are some are other great threat threats to the whole country. And so I wrote this poem. It's in free form. And um, I won't read it all because, again, it is quite long. Cold, wet marshlands surround Calais in winter. Police take tents away from the homeless. The railway station is protected with razor wire. Motorways have walls on each side. Trees are cut down to create open land. Huge rocks prevent anyone leaving a road. There is fear in Calais. It stalks every official building. It seeps into the minds of the police. It pervades all thinking. It gives imagination to cold-hearted people to confront the enemy. When they escape to the sea in flimsy boats at home w- that would be at home in a small lake, they have to be stopped, with bayonets puncturing them, clothing taken that would protect against the cold. The enemy comes on foot in lorries and buses with few clothes, no money and no food, few friends only memories. Of bombardment and war, of families in jail, of crops destroyed, of empty schools, of floods and drought, of bitter travelling in secret lorries, on mountain paths, in safe houses, of razor wire and cameras hidden in the trees. Volunteers in a big store, handing clothing and boots, backpacks and sleeping bags, gloves and socks, wood for fires, medicines too. Huge vats of cooking rice Aromatic curries, wholesome bread, fresh fruit, clean water in big vats for the thirsty, delivered around the town to enemy groups who change location every day, harassed by police, shunned and abused by those with a cold heart. Except for one place in the centre of town, with warmth and food and power, and for a few hours to be secure. In the beauty of the sunset, in cold winter time, the setting sun gleams on the Hotel de Ville. A crowd gathers around a white van to eat what has come and search for a place to rest. They will be stopped, thunder politicians. The enemy will not land, say screaming headlines. They are lawbreakers, say experts on the radio. Their homes are a long list of places near and far. Where wars are fought and minerals abound, where money is made and people disappear. Calais in winter is cold and hard. Calais in summer is busy and happy, but hot and tense the enemy
1: another question or two
0: yeah, uh, I, I, you mentioned the romantics I wondered if there are any, any other kind of like movements that were particularly inspiring to you uh, as you've kind of been reading alongside your political work so any, political, any political movements that kind of seem to be perhaps more contemporary
3: ones that seem to be quite inspiring <laughs> well, well Len chose a whole series of love poetry in the middle of the book mm-hmm. uh, which um, shocked everybody I <laughs> mean <laughs> 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 it, it's, it's got a beautiful selection yeah. there um, what, what page is it on? can we just get it up and so uh, I, I think poetry should be inspirational, should take Mm. you away from what you're doing and try and make you think a bit. But it can also be descriptive and it can be very powerful. I think judging poetry is difficult. And Mike Jennings, who wrote this poem in there called The Tree Council, is actually a... um, He's a lecturer professor in poetry and lives in Aberdeer. And uh, he's um, supposed to run this course one summer on how to write poetry. And he said, well, I'm happy to teach you all this stuff if you want, but really I can't teach you anything because nobody can tell you how to write a poem. And by the way, there's no such thing as bad poetry. Just write whatever comes into your head. <laughs> I think some of the students felt a bit short-changed. <laughs> they were in for a whole long course. But the point he was trying to make was that poetry should be a free-form, honest expression. Yes, you can write poems in rhyming couplets. Yes, you can make it rhyme. But translated poetry obviously doesn 't rhyme you write something in English to rhyme if, if it 's translated into Spanish or the other way around it doesn 't it doesn't rhyme and so um, you have to bear that in mind and look for the thoughts and i won't I promise i won 't read this one, but um, there is a lovely poem in there by Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz, mm-hmm. who is um, a Mexican woman who was um, appallingly treated by the Roman Catholic Church. This is in colonial. Mexico and um, she wrote a lot of poetry, she wrote a lot of poetry about women's rights and the poem in the book is called You Foolish Men and it's very very powerful in English as as probably even more powerful in Spanish which Laura will confirm because she uh, obviously speaks Spanish and um, we put that in. Sadly most of Sir works were destroyed because they didn't like the idea of a woman being able to write poetry or explain her views on life and she wrote this incredible piece of poetry more than a hundred years before uh, Mary Wollstonecraft wrote the treatise on the rights of women so she was very very far sighted very far thinking woman and um, she's at last been properly recognised in Mexico Octavio Paz has done a lot of work on building up her image and poetry and she's now appeared on banknotes and stamps and things which is Mm. nice to see so I'm not sure she really wanted to be on a banknote, but it's a way—it's <laughs> it's, it's a way of—it's a way of remembering her. So I uh, urge you to have a look at that one, and um, I think there are lots of her works hidden away somewhere. i i would love to go trawling through the Vatican Library. I'm sure there's some in there somewhere mm-hmm. because they picked up everything from colonial Spain. Mm-hmm. Great, great book, great book. Um, do you want to say anything about Lara? So, about Sorolla?
1: You say already. <laughs> so we've had another world is possible, no. uh, and you can capture things from William Blake, tell me lies, etc. That travel can is it possible to capitalize mm-hmm. on? You have many followers, but right now we're getting very you know what the earth is going on and what can we do is it possible to capture the creative imagination and galvanize it and speed it up so we get change
3: yes it is it is. it absolutely is and um the history of struggle everywhere is yes about arguments it is about marches it's demonstrations it's all of those things but it's also about the spoken word and music that goes with it it's bread and roses that absolutely has to be and um, I have always believed that and spent a lot of time promoting those ideas and we're doing all these events now around the country In this we're also doing an awful lot of other events as well through the peace and justice project and other things the idea is that um, a lot of people became radicalized by austerity radicalized by the fight back against austerity and by the idea that you don't have to accept the economic norm that working-class living standards fall that we have a greater sense of inequality in our society than ever before. It's not inevitable it's been deliberately done and where I get so angry is that um, the uh, current leadership of the Labour Party have just gone away from all that and ignored all that and said, well, OK, um, we can just be a... Um, Tories. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you said it. We can just present an economic alternative that isn't an alternative mm-hmm. that accepts wage cuts, wage freezes, public spending cuts and privatisation of services. And so... Um, I think um, young people writing poetry about their situation and their strength of feeling is great. Now, sometimes I find young people find it hard to express what they really want, but they feel quite angry about things and don't always say what they mean. I'm involved with um, Angel Shed Theatre in, in my borough, which um, we have a lot of young people in our, in our theatre, and we produce a play every few months. And they all take part in it. Nobody has ever turned away. Anyone who turns up and wants to be in it is in it. Uh, so there's no auditions, anything like that. And they write their own their own plays. It's all written by the young people. Some of them are quite hard to understand at times, but all of them are sort of biting back against their sense of lowered self worth, overcrowding in housing, feeling unsafe, and wanting to. Do something else in society. So I just think that um, (coughs) providing that opportunity through creativity is so important. It's not. It's music as well. It's um, uh, well, rap is actually a form of poetry. (coughs) Rap is poetry, and so um, the next book I'd like to include rap poets in it and rap and rap poetry because that is where poetry is developing. Also, I, you, if you read. 18th and 19th century poetry, you'll notice it's always incredibly long because they could get away with it then. You know, Shelley could write 100 pages for one poem and think nothing of it. Um, these days, uh, you, you you wouldn't get a publisher to even look at that. They'd only want, let's say, three pages tops and that—and that's it. And so it is a difference. And it's the technology that goes with it. It's the mobile phone, it's the computer and, and so on. And so let's encourage... Um, creativity, in whatever form it comes. And um, I'm looking forward to all the events we've got planned on this, and there's plenty of them coming up. And in some of them, there's a lot of people coming up to read their own poetry, which is great. That's what it's about. We've got time for one more question, or are people bored already? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, we definitely, we definitely do one more. Oh,
2: it's such a relief to hear a politician talk about the arts. <laughs> <laughs> about what? Just to, to talk about the arts. Just I, I just mm. never heard a politician. Plays and poetry. And mm. Talking about art and the arts and the importance and knowing about it. I mean, it's really great. The only w- other one I know is Mao Tse Tung. He's not with oh, us anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
3: thank you. Thank you. It's, a, it's also about supporting. Um, theatres and so on because we just it, it's mm. tragic mm. that um, Julie Hesmanliar who's done a poem here has put amazing work trying to try and save the theatre in Oldham It's oh, under yeah, threat yeah. I think she'll probably succeed because she kind of does you know what I mean she's very yeah. she's very determined her and Maxine are very determined people but we shouldn't have to mount some massive campaign to save something that was built for all of us, mm. a theatre mm. that was there for all of us. It is about having that. Mm. Yeah. So let's um, let's be proud of what we've got, not let it go, but get more of it. We're also doing in our project, Music for the Many, which is about defending live music venues, mm-hmm. many of which are under threat. So we had a very good concert in, uh, in the Leadmill in Sheffield, which is under threat at the present time. So it is about mobilising people and that's what we do. That's what we all do.
1: Yeah, do it yeah. together. Mm. And, yeah. mm. and that's the point of it. And that's, that's absolutely, absolutely. And you very much
2: for all those wonderful readings as well. And from remembering Benjamin Zeph and I a
0: huge fan of shop yeah. and yeah, and and for the readings from the book. Um, please stick around, have a drink. And I'm sure
1: that everyone wants
0: to get their book signed. Yeah, yeah. please.
1: Pleasure, pleasure. I'm I'm the closest. (laughs) Yeah, you start with Pauline, not me. (laughs) And do left. (laughs) All right, over left. left, That's that's my my book.
3: That's why.